The Other Side podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Thanks for joining us for, quite honestly, an episode of the In Black and White podcast that I never thought we would have to do. For those of you listening that don't know, my esteemed and beloved co-host of this show, Dr. Terrence Dean, passed away unexpectedly the week of August 13th. Dr. Dean was 53 years old. His career was still blossoming, and his positive impact on the community cannot be overstated. Outside of this podcast, Dr. Dean was a beloved Denison University professor. He was the Columbus Museum of Art's first Amina Brendan Lynn Robinson Scholar in Residence and an editorial board member for the Columbus Dispatch. Prior to moving to the area, Dr. Dean was a best-selling author, MTV music executive, and TV producer. He held a PhD in religion and African-American diaspora studies. I've asked some of Dr. Dean's colleagues and friends to join me today to share with you how they felt about him, what kind of man he was, and to share their thoughts about the incredible work that he did. So joining me in studio is Dr. Karen Powell Sears, Associate Professor of Sociology in the Anthropology and Sociology Department at Denison University. Also joining me is Dr. Farida McClinton Griffin, Associate Professor of Sociology in the Anthropology and Sociology Department at Denison University and also the Director of Global Health. Dr. Christopher Travers, a visiting assistant professor in the Center for Black Studies at Denison University and the founder of the Communion Collective. And last but not least, Columbus Dispatch Opinion and Community Engagement Editor, Amelia Robinson. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us, Scott. Okay, so to be quite frank with you, I spent a lot of time just processing what happened and trying to think of the best way that we could honor Dr. Dean. And so I know that you all knew him well and worked with him and were friends and colleagues with him. So I thought, who best to have on the show to talk about him? So I think maybe the best way to start is is just tell me how you met him, first impressions, uh, maybe even just a little context about how it came about. Why don't we just go from left to right? So we'll start with you, Amelia. Well, Dr. Dean Terrence, I just call him Terrence, right? Uh, He was one of the first people I met when I started the position at the dispatch. And obviously I was coming from a smaller town and they're like, now you're over this uh, editorial board. And right away, Terrence and I hit it off. We were joking, like we had been friends for 47 years, but we knew each other for 45 minutes. And from there on, we just cackled doing these meetings, which are sometimes very serious topics. Yeah. We would just always find a way and a reason to laugh and sort of, he brought a light into the, the, the dim corner in a lot of times. We we're talking at serious topics, but he was always um, not only like generous with his uh, spirit, but with his knowledge about the way um, systems are set up. Yeah. That he broke it down for folks in a way that they could understand it. Yeah. And I always value that. Uh, thank you again for the opportunity just to kind of shed light and um, give an insight into who Terrence Dean was. Farida Griffith, um, a friend and colleague of Terrence Dean at Denison University. So for me, I think the first impression um, was um, a pretty serious um, individual who was serious about his scholarship. I was actually um, the first imp- or the first time that I met him was during his interview, uh, campus interview um, at Denison University. What, what stood out in that interview? So it was actually a kind of 
one of those moments where you think you're off. Uh, it was at lunch, um, mm -hmm. and so it wasn't the actual job talk or the teaching demonstration, but it was lunch. And in that moment, I saw still, even though supposedly you're off, Terrence was on in a way that made his um, the conversation personable. But at the same time, I could see him as a person that I wanted to get to know better. I wanted to understand kind of the things that he was interested in in terms of research, in terms of working with students. Um, and so my first impression of him um, were really just a nice individual, but a serious scholar. And I think you can do both of those things at the same time. And I do think um, as a black man, um, he knew even in that moment that even though supposedly you're off um, in lunch, he was on, um, but still personable. Dr. Sears. Thank you again for having me. I'm uh, like Dr. Griffith or Farida. I think it's not just a colleague, but a friend, really. And uh, I also met Terrence when he came up for his interview on a very, very snowy day um, that everyone, everything had been canceled, but we had been asked to come and be a part of that screening process. And I remember him walking in the room with a blue blazer, you know, bigger than life, and being unapologetically excellent. Right? But there was no question. You know, we'd already looked at his materials, but it was the presence that he brought that didn't need to be credentialized. Right? Right. And as part of that unapologetic excellence, it was the sense of community. So from the very first conversation, he was talking about his work in South Africa. And my family's Caribbean, and I'd just come back from South Africa and thinking about how we might just on the first meeting, actually, how we might going forward um, be partners in some form or another um, on a you know, visit or academic work. But from the very beginning, he was always focused on collaboration and community, which I think is really important in environments in which we don't, aren't reflected right. um, in, in big ways. So it was um, that is the thing that stands out, that unapologetic excellence, that bigger than life. I'm fabulous without explanation, yes. um, and it makes you better. Yes. It makes you better. So one of the things he always told me is that he was going to win a Pulitzer. And I'm like, you are? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to win a Pulitzer. He's going to win me that Pulitzer. So that confidence was, you know, something that he had, and he passed it on to other folks. Absolutely. You know, and I thought that was a, that's a gift that a lot of people don't have and a, a gift that people take, effect, you know, take for granted. Yeah, so Dr. Dean and I crossed paths uh, in my graduate program, at the Ohio State University. I believe Dr. Dean was in some type of a fellowship mm -hmm. and I was in like my third year in my PhD program. And he, his fellowship was through the Department of African and African-American Studies. Mm -hmm. And while I wasn't in that program as a student, I had a good relationship with the department chair at the time. Mm -hmm. And so some of the, the programs they would have in place for their students, I was able to be a part of. Uh -huh. And so one of the programs or, or trips was a trip to Chicago. Mm -hmm. And we did a lot of cool things. The thing that stood out to me the most was Hamilton. We got to see Hamilton. Okay, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, as a, as a broke graduate student, that's not like I wasn't able to go like to right. go see Hamilton on my own. So Dr. Dean was a part of the trip, and I just remember like in our very first encounter, like you know, introducing myself to him, and him just like immediately like getting in my business around right. like how so, like what do you mean how so? like you know what I'm studying in my program, mm -hmm. how I'm approaching it, the different things I was involved in on campus. I was highly involved as a graduate student. I think at the time I was 
the vice president of the Black Graduate and Professional Student Caucus. Mm-hmm. And, and Dr. Dean is all about all things black life, you know. And so he had questions and curiosities about my experience and, and some of the things that I was interested in. But he also like immediately began to like forecast where I should be like headed or like what I should be thinking about. Mm-hmm. And that's what I meant by like all up in my business. And so okay. he asked very, you know, deeply personal questions, even in our first encounter. So, yeah, so I first met him at Ohio State. I think this was in like 2017 when I was a graduate student and he was in some kind of a fellowship role and leaving, you know, the program in 2018, I took a couple different jobs in between 2018 and now, but in August, July or August of 2021, Dr. Dean like randomly reached out to me. This is after the the initial. Yeah. So we like maintained a, you know, I, I don't know if I would call it a friendship, but we knew each other while I was mm-hmm. at Ohio State. And uh, yeah, a couple of years after that, while he was uh, an assistant professor at Denison University in Black Studies, they had a need for somebody to come in and teach a course. And he somehow thought of me and reached out to see if I was still in Columbus. And I was. And he asked if I wanted to teach the class. And so I said, sure. And it's a class on social movements. And so I found my way to Denison in August of 2021. And from there, you know, we just, we would have a lot of phone calls about different things that I experienced in the classroom. He was giving me a lot of game and wisdom around how to navigate Denison's campus. He gave me some knowledge about trying to position myself for the next step in my, my career, mm-hmm. career journey. And he he also, just like he did when I was a grad student, asked very deeply personal questions about my scholarship. Who am I reading? Who am I citing? Right? Like, how do I honor? How did you feel about, I mean, because some people might take those questions to be intrusive or yeah. like, who is this guy? Why is he asking me? So what did you think when he was asking you all these things? Yeah. So, you know, you know, Dr. Dean and I had a had a, a real like big brother, little brother kind of relationship. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, as a lot of little brothers are like, I was a little annoyed at times with some of his questions because I feel like underneath the questions was like this assumed like superiority of knowledge and like, like judgment. And like, I didn't know anything, you know? And so I think just my ego and pride caused me to feel a little like uneasy at times and he and he would be very intentional about mentoring me i think yeah. you know at the heart of what dr dean was interested in was how do i like help chris get to where chris says he wants to go right and so in the moment it's frustrating but i think he always left me with like sort of deeply reflective ideas you know mm-hmm. and and questions to consider about what's next for me and so yeah it was a little challenging in the moment but looking back at it over the last year of just having him somebody to call and, and now, like, not having him and yeah. still experiencing a lot of those same kind of situations and circumstances, I really appreciate the the time. I mean, Dr. Dean and I would be on the phone, you know, sometimes for like two hours talking about life in, in the academy and being a black man in this world. And so I really appreciate having somebody with so many closely related identities who also cared enough about, you know, my success as a scholar and as a person. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you're younger and you're growing up, like your parents are on top of you and you hate it while right. you're going through it. And you look back and realize, dang, like, I really appreciate that. Right. So first of all, the reason why I call him Dr. Dean, one time we were having a conversation, I, I introduced him and I said, I, I think I just said Terrence or something. And he corrected me very quickly, not in a malicious or mean way, but in, in standard Terrence Dean form, basically said, hey, can you put that doctor on there? At least at least in the official capacity. He was like, I don't care what you call me off the air. But and so from then on, then I, of course, after he said that, then I just call him Dr. Dean. And he would say, Scott, you don't have to call me. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You check me. I will never get checked again. So basically the way that it came together in terms of of our relationship is when he joined the editorial board for the dispatch, he approached the then editor of the paper, Alan Miller, and um, had this concept for uh, wanting to do a series of columns in the paper where he would have guests 
columnists, intellectuals, uh, community leaders, all kinds of people related to marginalized communities, the black diaspora. And so the plan was for those columns to run in the paper, which they did. But he also came up with this idea as sort of a, a supplemental to those columns to do a podcast. So I had been producing a podcast that was somewhat related, my, my own podcast. I was asked to partner with him to help him develop this podcast that was going to accompany these columns. And so initially we really didn't we didn't know what it was going to become. We didn't really know exactly what the the shape of it was going to be. But uh, I knew that he's very passionate. I knew that he's very uh, committed and he's very focused. He knew exactly kind of what he wanted to do. And so I was just kind of, you know, I was just kind of considered myself just here to kind of help make it happen because he, he, he didn't really need any help. I mean, he always asked great questions. He always picked great guests. He, he was such a deep thinker. I felt that it would probably be best if we have some acquaintance with each other other than just kind of jump into this podcast. So I remember in the early days when we were just kind of brainstorming, I said, well, hey, let's just have a conversation. You know, can we talk on the phone? Just Mm -hmm. talk, just kind of get to know each other because we're going to be doing this this podcast together. So we're going to have to have some kind of chemistry. And prior to that conversation, I just kind of Googled him just to do a little research. So I knew, you know, something about the guy. And so when I Google him, all this stuff comes up about how he's an author. He wrote this book and how he worked for MTV and he's a professor at Denison University. And so uh, I just remember our our first conversation. I was really just kind of amazed. I'm kind of like, how did you you know, how did you do all these things? And later conversations, uh, he went more into detail about how how he came to be where he was. But going back to your point, Karen, it's really just I think his sheer will and the the belief in himself. Mm -hmm. And the belief that he could do anything and that the commitment to, like you said, excellence. And so uh, I just thought that was, you know, I've met a lot of successful people in my life, but I don't think I've ever met someone who was so centered in themselves and just knew their potential and and not in an arrogant way. Uh, He was actually very humble about it. He was like, "Uh, I'm trying to get a closer for this show. And I was like, oh. And he was like, well, I was like, well, maybe we should just change it to the Dr. Dean show. He was like, I like that. That's I like that. That, So that was that was that was that was was typical Terrence. Can I jump in real quick? Absolutely. Because I think the what I loved is that the this he he knew he was fabulous, Mm -hmm. but it was connected to a larger practice that that centered black people. Right, right. It was he, he was really clear about that as a black studies professor that his work in, a, in environments that were not designed for people of color, for black people, to say that your work is focused on black people is an act of resistance. So he was yes. very clear about that. And that that sense of um, uh, focus on black excellence was connected to community. So yes. he asked me to be a part of this uh, podcast and the, the dispatch oh, yes. series. The side note. Doctor uh, Doctor Sears is a, a former uh, guest on our show. But to add, I'm not. I'm just no, 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 myself that, up. But I'm saying he invited me to do that yes. in the space of ten days, and he didn't have to, mm-hmm. right? So that that sense of black excellence that he walked with, he connected himself. Mm-hmm. To, he opened the doors for us to participate in that with him in that short time that he'd been in Columbus. So that uh, we were all involved in different forms of his life, and to be in terms of the part of him not being him being confident but not arrogant. 
I did not know about his background MTV. Mm-hmm. His work at uh, with us was with me in particular was focused on the academic work. Right. So I did not Google him because I'm not from the Google generation, right? <laughs> so I he he presented himself as you know, we talked about his work at Vanderbilt, right? Mm-hmm. And he brought some of that uh, methodology to this space. Really, I mean, people think that mentoring has to be from people who have been in a space physically longer than you, who are older than you. But mentoring comes from a pot of wisdom. So so in terms of his um, collaborative spirit, he was not he was opening the doors for us that had not been opened for me um, uh, to write publicly before um, in 10 days. And he was like, you can do it. Yeah. And that was it. You can do it. And that was and I knew it had to be excellent every single time. Terrence greeted me for the last three years. He said, hello, black excellence. And I said, we, we only called each other black excellence. Right? Oh. And again, that is practice. Absolutely. Right? For, you know, again, in spaces that we're not designed to promote our excellence, to just say that right? yes. and, you know, is, is a, an act of resistance. It's radical. So I think that, that I, the fact that he was able to come to the space without any of that um, fame that may have carried him in other spaces and, and, and be validated. As excellent without all I mean, the, the extra the details. testament of, of from going from an entertainment sphere to an academic sphere. I mean that that in itself is. I mean, how many MTV producers have PhDs now? Right, you right. know, that in itself is is something. Um, Amelia, I'm curious what his voice add to the dispatch, and in what way did he change the board? Because there's always been an editorial board, but, right. but there's never been anybody like Terrence Dean on that board. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts on in, in terms of, you know, his impact on the board and just how it's changed the paper in essence, because the editorial board in a lot of ways determines the, the direction of the, the, the editorial voice. So, right. Yeah. Well, the fact that he was at the table, that's the thing about it. And he welcomed other people to the table. Yeah. That right there is such a big deal. Um, the, the voices that he brought to the pages would not have been in the pages without him. And we would not have had the conversations as a community that we had without him. The fact that he brought scholars in, you say, well, people bring scholars in, but they don't. Not yeah. the, to discuss the kind of topics that we as Americans do not want to discuss. Um, and they talked about it in ways that uh, can resonate with people, real people, not in these, you know, grand, lofty sort of academic kind of ways, but in ways that people who are, you know, reading this over breakfast or reading it on the Internet or whatnot can understand. And that, to me, is a big loss for us. I could literally talk to Terrence. I can say, I want to do something on critical race theory. Who do you think will be a good person? And he would write off a list of names. I always say I want to do something about LGBTQ uh, issues with uh, some of the things that are going on at the state house, which we know are rooted in fear and racism and everything right. else. And Terrence would just say, these are the people who can talk to it. He could have clearly taken all that for himself and said, I can write about everything. I can be the person that, you know, I can be the columnist of this, of the dispatch who can talk about race. But he wanted to share that. Right. And that, to me, speaks highly of who he was as a person, that it wasn't just about him. It was about the community, about the issues, about being better people, <laughs> you know, right. humanity. Yeah. And another thing, people, his humanity, we would have so many discussions about foster children, mm-hmm. especially when the young lady, Micaiah Bryant, was shot um, and killed by the police officers. Uh, he was a foster father. You know, he had a heart for children, and it's like all that in one person. Yeah, to me, is amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. Farida, I, if you could talk a little bit about 
his presence on campus? Because I've never seen him in that environment. And I'm just curious how the students related to him. Mm-hmm. I know that he was active and I'm sure quite outspoken mm-hmm. on campus. But just mm-hmm. tell us a little bit of, about the Denison version of Dr. Dean, yeah. I guess. It's a important question, I think, for me, because we actually, um, in March of this year, spent a week with students um, in California. So his second home, I would say, um, in Los Angeles, and with a group of uh, about 13 or so students, you know, showing them, one, that there was a Denison alum who graduated from Denison in the early 1900s when black people did not attend small liberal arts colleges. And Terrence had done some research and found that this alum, this was an alum of Denison, and we should be um, uh, doing research and talking about it. So William Payne, uh, alum of Denison, um, founded Allensworth. So he came up with a plan. Um, it was a part of a, a William Payne lab. Um, he got funding for it. The university was on board. So Terrence had a way of not only talking with the community, but talking with administration about the things that we needed to do. So, uh, you know, follow up a couple of months, he had a plan to take students to Allensworth, and he asked me to go with him. And I said, sure. You know, L.A. in March. Yeah, South sure. Why not? in Ohio. You know, it's probably snowing when we're leaving. It's snowing when we arrive back home. Um, and so that, I really got to know Terrence in a very different way um, during that trip. So, you know, a week with students um, is a lot. <laughs> I'm um, sure. From experience taking students outside of the country. But a week to L.A., you're responsible for them, but they're also adults. So right. at the same yeah. time, you're kind of, it's a blurred line. Um, and so in that space uh, of a week, I got to see a side of Terrence that was one, um, the professor Terrence Dean, but also the mentor Terrence Dean, the scholar Terrence Dean. And I don't want to say the, just a space that students could look up and could see themselves, a role model, I would say, um, in a way that he gave them tough love, but he also supported them and said, these are the things that you know, you need to be doing, and these are the, this is my expectation. I expect you to be on time. I expect you to show up. I expect you to have conversation and questions in the, when we go to these different sites. Um, But then, you know, this is also the person, we're in a 15-passenger van. I'm in the front. Terrence is driving the entire time, and every now and then, he will look at the map, but I'm like, how does he know how to get to these places? He hasn't lived here in however many years, but he's getting us from point A to point B. He timed it in such a way that we never sat in L.A. traffic, which is unheard of, <laughs> wow. right? That's, so that's a miracle. That's a that's feat in right, right there. Congratulations. Uh, right, right. Because, you know, we, we got spoiled. In, we get spoiled in Ohio with the, the lack of traffic. Um, but I say that all to say the Terrence scene that I saw in that week, I was excited. I felt like I feel like we're in this moment now that. His life was cut short. And not to say that any life that's, you know, gone too soon is cut short, but he has so much more to give. We were actually planning a class together. We had it was approved. We were taking students to South Africa this spring or this coming spring, 2023. And this I felt like the opportunity in LA was just a window into what he was really excited about and what he was doing. So in our time in Allensworth, in our time in LA. Students were exposed to thinking about the social, racial um, issues within the context of L.A. But then this town in the early 1900s that was built for black people and now is still in existence in 2022 
and have students go back and understand and think about health and think about uh, disparities and think about ways in which we can do better. But what happens when there are a lack of resources? What happens to those communities? What happened to the people who don't have a voice, who are not writing for individuals, who are not, you know, in political campaigns? What happens to the, the voiceless? And so um, I was, we were just, I felt like he was just on the tip. He was just starting to emerge. He had, I mean, I didn't even know about these other things that he was doing. So to spend a week with him, to see how engaged he was. And I said to him, I'm like, um, I didn't plan this. So I, I, I'm on board. I'm, I'm willing to support you. But I'm exhausted. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm not even driving. So all I have to do is just be present and be that second person if he needs it. I, I asked him, I was like, how do you do this? You don't drink coffee, right? You don't drink tea. There's no caffeine. How are you? But he's like, you just you just got to do it. We got to expose them to this. They need to know this. They need to be there. So I say all that to say I the Terrence Dean that I saw in that week, this Terrence Dean that the students saw in that week, I think and I know should change their rest, should change the way in which they see the world for the rest of their lives. They had someone who encouraged them. They had someone that said, you know, I expect more than maybe someone else would expect from you because I know you can do this. Um, but at the same time, what do you need? How can I do these things? So we talked about graduate school. We talked about, you know, what the expectations were and once you, you know, go, you leave Denison. Um, how can I help you get internships? So. I felt like he, in every moment, there was an opportunity. And then we had fun, right? We had music. We we had good food. All of these things were Terrence, and we got to see a window into that. So I feel like I'm, I'm talking a lot about this, but I, I remember, like, March 2023, or 2022, um, was a space and a moment that I really got to see and understand why Terrence Dean was at Denison University. Terrence answered which may seem, you know, trivial to some, but like, like the phone, like oh, was available, okay. you know, like was accessible, right? You know, for, for all the kind, all the different kinds of questions that I have from anything as small as how do I send this email to something as big as I got this job interview, yo, I'm stuck. I don't know how to frame my presentation, right? And so when he was accessible, and I think he also portrayed himself in a very familiar at home like kind of way right like yeah. there's a particular kind of way that black folks move not not to essentialize us as black people but generally like there's a there's a cultural sort of like norm that we bring into space and Terrence was authentic in his and so I think like there's a comfort in being able to see someone particularly in a space where you're like one of few being able to see somebody and feel somebody who is like represents home and, and what home feels like. And, and with that came jokes at times, you know, and, you know, friendly banter at times, you know, like big brother and little brother kind of dynamics. So I think that also made me feel comfortable. But I feel like Terrence also saw me or Dr. Dean. He also saw me in ways that other folks just don't like saw my worth, my value, my potential, saw me in a way that was bigger than I saw myself. And spoke to me in that way. He didn't speak to me in terms of where I was in the moment. He spoke to me in terms of where he saw me going. And I think when you live in a world, particularly as a black person, when you live in a world where that isn't the norm, it's refreshing. It's, a, it's almost like, you know, carrying this weight of having to prove yourself everywhere you go and then getting into somebody's presence where you don't have to do that. And all of a sudden being able to breathe and, and breath, as we know, from a physiological sense connects to life. Right. And so I think for me, like I was able to just like breathe in, in Dr. Dean's presence. That, that's a perfect segue into the next thing I want to talk about. Dr. Dean had a lot of issues that he was passionate about. And 
I'm sure in conversations that he had with each of you, you, you probably picked up on some of those things. I know Dr. Sears, one of her things is black excellence. So I'm going to have you start, Dr. Sears, talking about black excellence, and then we're just going to go, we'll just go around. What is something that you know, or maybe something that wasn't really on your radar before you talked to him about it or, or knew him, but now it is? You know, just a preview, I, I'll, I'll talk about mine in depth later, but I know for me it's, it's, it's um, black men's health. It's a much bigger thing with me now because of him. So with that being said, thank you. Dr. Um, there's no other place to start than talking about black excellence. Um, and as Frida said, it wasn't just black excellence. We asked about how he was as, as an academic, not just for students, but for his peers, right, for faculty members. So one of the things I can think about is that, you know, in, for, for the last time we had a, we're in a public panel together last December, I, I remember him looking at the audience and telling the, the mostly student audience that, his work is focused on black people, and it is for black people. And that may not sound like a radical thing to say, but in spaces in which any discussion about black social justice, black issues is viewed as racist, or um, to, to say you love black people means to say you don't love other it's people, right? It's exclusive. You're excluding Right, exclusionary, which is yeah. so, but think about it in, in, in a culture in which ideologically is not designed around black people or institutionally is not designed around black people. To censor black people is actually a, 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 a minimal attempt uh, to move toward equity yeah. move to, or move further away from injustice. So that black excellence meant that he was encouraging students to be great. You had to give him good work. He was unapologetic about the standard. And that's important because some people might think that black excellence means compromising standards. No, it was about the standard. But for his colleagues, he one thing that I'm left with is um, me giving talks in public forums. You know, oftentimes in the last, since George Floyd's death, many of us have had many, many speaking engagements around issues of blackness and anti-racism. And he said to me, um, Karen, remember the work that we do has a, has, has a value. Right? And that when people, people, when people value our work, they, how do you show value? Things that you attach value to, you, you assign monetary value to them as well, right? You pay for things that you, that you think are, are, have worth. Right. So that to be asked to do work around black issues and to ask just to do it just because you want to get to heaven is not sufficient. Right. right. And he said to me, Karen, Karen, always ask about an honorarium. It could be five dollars. They don't know. But the fact that they do not ask suggests that they do not value the work that you do. Right. And that was a light bulb. I mean, all year long. That sounds wonderful. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> what is the honorary? Right. So, right. uh, can you feel me? So that yeah. that is a gift he gave me. And and the second part was around boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. There's there are three boundaries. Why are people emailing you at one o'clock in the morning on a, on a Saturday night? He said, "Y'all don't have boundaries here." Mm-hmm. Right. And he reminded me because to value yourself means that you put parameters around yourself, right? You protect yourself. Mm-hmm. And so he that again is another way of of reinforcing that excellence that he talks so much about. I think those are two really powerful things, thinking about how we value ourselves monetarily, but also with regard to our time and giving people access to us, allowing them to earn access to us and not as though they were, they're entitled to that access. So that is something, and, and I, I miss that. Mm-hmm. I miss that. I thought there was more to come, and I, um, it, it, my heart aches for that because I felt like I would have done so much more um, talking and, and building had I known that we were, would have another two weeks mm-hmm. and I would never be able to talk to him again. One of the things is, I, as you posed the question I was thinking about, and I was thinking about black excellence um, and what that meant for Terrence. 
And one of the connections that we made um, very early on was that we both attended HBCU. And so Terrence went to Fisk University. I went to Payne College. And I guess maybe we took it for, I took it for granted, I should say, um, about uh, thinking about that black excellence, of course, it exists. I went to, a, I was in a space where I was supported. We will often talk about being at an HBCU, you are built up. You are said, you, of course you can go to, I went on to get a, a degree from the University of Pennsylvania. Of course you can go to an Ivy League institution, even if you don't know what it means. You, even if you don't know what the institution can actually bring, you should, of course you should be there. So Terrence and I um, often talked about black excellence um, from a space of the HBCU experience and how we can give a pour into the students with boundaries um, to make sure our students, our black students, all of our students, the students who sought us out, were prepared. Um, And so the black excellence for me is rooted in my HBCU experience, and I think Terrence would say that as well. And how do we make sure that we, one, give back to those institutions because they need our support financially, socially, but at the same time, make it known. Don't forget where you come from. Right. Um, he would always talk about, tell me more about making. Tell me more about pain, your pain experience. And so all of that is wrapped up in the black excellence because your experience, your upbringing, your space, the current space that you in, you're in really shapes who you are. And we have to model that for students. We have to model um, what it means to, you know, if something is late, what my expectations are. That goes into the black excellence. We have to model what it means to be a great mentor for our students because they can mentor each other. So black excellence for me and black excellence for the relationship that I had with um, with Terrence was really about showcasing it in a way, but all of that coming full circle from our experience with the HBCU. For people who don't know, uh, HBCU is a historically black colleges and universities. Thank you. Sorry. No, 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 you're good. Just yeah. something quick uh, before we go to Amelia. When you mentioned his upbringing, for those who don't know, Dr. Dean was originally from Detroit. Mm-hmm. So I think that influenced Absolutely. a lot of his his um, world perspective Absolutely. on things yeah. and, and a lot of the issues that he was concerned about. But I think more importantly, it kind of just demonstrates that, you know, here's a black boy from Detroit who mm-hmm. went on to get a Ph.D. and mm-hmm. become a, a college professor, a, mm-hmm. a best-selling author yeah. and, and all mm-hmm. these other things. And so you can. But he was never scared. And he was never, mm-hmm. scared, he was never and, scared and never let that. That didn't hold him back. Him. Yeah, yeah he didn't say, well, I'm from Detroit, yeah. so I'll just, yeah. you know, get a job yeah. with GM and, yeah. mm-hmm. and just, you know, that's yeah. the best that I can ever right. do. So right. with that being said, Amelia. Well, one thing that he really brought to the table is appreciation of black people and, and black excellence, too. Like the idea of, like, Amina Robinson, right, mm-hmm. who was known in uh, Columbus in certain circles, but he was profoundly uh, impacted by her work, and he wrote this gorgeous piece about it for the dispatch that sort of uh, shared why her work was so passionate and, and important, not passionate, but important, and that it should be recognized. So um, that whole idea, I was kind of raised in a world where, you know, Black pride and all that stuff was kind of like you have to be a little bit embarrassed by it, right? right. But Terrence was not ever embarrassed of his blackness, and and it was a you know part of his code of honor. You know, like being black is, you it's know, black excellence. yeah, yeah, 
you know. And and another thing, too, with the idea that, you know, I've only known him a a year and a half, about a little over a year and a half. But the impact that this man made on me is just unbelievable. And it kind of speaks to you don't have to be in a space a long time. You don't have to be best friends with somebody, but you can impact the world in powerful ways. And that is something that, as a journalist, I often forget because we have so much stuff going on. We have so many people who want to hate on us, and for this reason, that people come at you for all kind of stuff. You kind of forget the impact you can make in the world and the circles you live in. He was uh, a walking, talking reminder of that, that you don't have to, uh, you know, you don't have to do it forever. And, you know, uh, it was too short. Um, I wish we had more time to really, and you know, it just always carries. You, I will carry that. That you know, you have to do it now. Right. You can't wait because the tomorrow's not promised. So, right. wow, man, that's a that's a great question. Well, for one, you know, I think it's important for me to say, you know, in, so we we were like neighbors in the suite. We shared uh, office space, mm-hmm. and so you know, I feel Dr. Dean's presence and spirit. You know, even now when I go into that space. And I think part of what he, he gave to me that I'll, I'll always hold on to is, you know, how to bring love into the classroom, how to how to teach with an ethic of love. Like, you know, what does it mean to not just honor the stories of, of the authors that we bring into the classroom space, but also to construct a classroom space where my students can feel seen and can feel heard? What does it mean to, like, represent Black studies, to engage in Black study? And I think for me, Dr. Dean has given me language to certain things that I always held inside of me. The thing that I will carry with me uh, from him is black men's health. And in fact, uh, I actually haven't shared this with anybody. So our last episode that we recorded was for the African-American male wellness walk here in Columbus, Ohio. It's an annual event. It happens all around the country. Anyway, we had the the founder of the organization that that sponsors the event here. And so we were just talking in general about uh, black male health disparities and the side effects from COVID and that impact on, on the black community in terms of health. We recorded the episode. Event was going to be like a month or two out. Uh, it was really our first episode back in the studio since COVID. Mm-hmm. And he was traveling. Mm-hmm. He was traveling this summer. He kept checking in with me saying, you know, hey, is that episode posted? And to be quite honest, and, and you know, I regret that I was not able to get that episode up earlier. We did get it up. But actually, the day we posted it is the day that, that I found that mm-hmm. he had passed away. But I say all that to say that he was very uh, concerned and passionate about improving black men's health. You know, it's just it's so sad and tragic that he was so concerned about this and yet died so young in his own life. I, I think the thing I take away from that is, you know, you have to take care of yourself. You have to get your exams. You can't just let it go because the reality is, is you don't know. Like Amelia said, you know, it's not promised. And I think he had no idea how short his life would be cut. But like I said, I think the thing that I will take with me. And the thing I think, Dr. Sears, when you were talking about black excellence and you were saying you thought you would be, you would have more conversations and more of an opportunity to build on that seed that he planted. And what I was thinking when you said that is keeping that thought in mind, that principle in mind, you're keeping him alive. We are, we are all, that. that's how we keep him alive. That's how we honor him, by practicing those things that he tried to instill in us. Uh, I know for me, it's definitely going to be black, black men's health, not just black men's health, but just, you know, health in the black community in general mm-hmm. or marginalized or um, communities that just are disproportionately not receiving the level of care that they should. So, you know, I think this man really, I think he touched us in ways that maybe 
we weren't even aware of uh, on a conscious level at that mm-hmm. time. And so I think the best thing we can do to honor him, I think the thing that he would want us to do is to keep fighting for those things, mm-hmm. um, whether it be the dispatch's editorial page or community events mm-hmm. or students on campus mm-hmm. or just black excellence amongst other intellectuals and professionals. Like, I think that's that's what he would want us to do. So. Before we get out of here, I just want to, uh, if there's any, um, you know, lasting thoughts or impressions or use words you want to say, goodbyes, anything. I want to say one thing. He has connected people, too, and those connections will stay, you know, stay a lot. Like, I'm now connected to you guys, mm-hmm. so I'm going to keep bothering you, and I might give you a little bit of money. $5, you said I can't think of a better way to honor Dr. Dean and pay me. You should have never said five dollars. That's what the rate right was. <laughs> she spoke for herself. <laughs> but no, seriously, he did connect a lot of people, and those connections are uh, alive and well. And that is something that is part of his legacy. I think so. My, um, I'm glad you asked that question because I wanted to also think about this and have us um, just um, ponder on this for a moment is you always you hear this notion of check on your strong friends. Mm-hmm. And this is a clear indication or a clear sign that Terrence did that. He called and he knew who I was. I'm not going to call. I, I will answer your phone, but I'm not a caller. I'm not a person that talks on the phone. But I, I kick myself often over the last um, month or so in being more reciprocal and calling him and, and being more checking in on him. And so... If there's anything, anything I think that he would want us to know or want us to do better on, and I'm, I'm, it's Terrence, I'm, it's a work in progress, I'm trying, um, is to check on your strong friends or check on people in general um, because you just never know, one, what they're going through. You never know if that phone call could be the phone call that um, they need in that moment. Um, and so if, if, if I have anything to kind of share or to kind of think about and to do better, um, because I do think he pushed us in that realm uh, to do better and to, to want better, um, is to check on your strong friends and check on your people. Courage. It took courage to show up big, black, queer, from the South, via Detroit, mm-hmm. right, um, and unapologetically excellent in a space, in spaces that were not designed for your body, ideologically or physically. So when you mentioned on my last note about people retracting, he, even if they did retract when he talked about black excellence, he was excellent anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that takes courage. So I take away to, to not, to, to be scared and do it anyway, to show up excellently, regardless of what the context is and what people say or how they react to it. And he brought Vanderbilt and all his excellence yeah. from his travels his MTV life, his writing life, his Oprah life. Fisk to University. Fisk University, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ask one more thing. Absolutely. It's because of Farida and, and Terrence, why my son, he could go anywhere he wanted as long as it was Howard University. Mm-hmm. Because I saw, honestly, I saw that they had wings. They had wings and they were not afraid. And I know I needed this, my six foot tall brown boy to also have wings. And I saw that they got them. What I would say to Dr. Dean is... uh. One, I, you know, I, I appreciate you for investing in me and taking the time and energy to see me and to speak life over me. Um, I thank you for the opportunity to, to be at Denison 
And I thank you for consistently reminding me of who I am, particularly in the moments when when I began to forget. And so with that, you know, I, I thank you and, and I love you. Yeah, I think the thing I just take from him is just go for what you want. Just go for it. Don't be scared. Don't don't apologize for it. Just go for what you want. Pursue your dreams and you never know how it's going to turn out. And you're only really limited by by the limits you place on yourself. So I, I want to thank my guests so much for, for coming in and, and um, talking with me today. <laughs> I know that um, Dr. Dean would be very touched by the things said about him today. And I know he admired and respected each of you immensely. I know that he will want all of us to keep fighting for and talking about the issues that he uh, so often covered on this show. And to all of our listeners out there, on behalf of Dr. Dean... We are so appreciative of your support and your willingness to give up time out of your busy schedules to listen to this podcast. This show was really Dr. Dean's baby, and he was proud of it, and I know he's somewhere smiling down. So with that, take care, 